Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. It's for the views, not the yous. When I say you, I'm talking about you. It's not for you, it's to sell to you. So the question I have is, do you get your financial news from marketing PR firms? And when I talk about marketing PR firms, I'm talking about Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Time, Forbes, etc. That's what I'm talking about. And so, so Don has this picture, this screen up, and it's this article in Barron's Magazine. It's the front, it's this article, and it says, it's time to stop crying about bonds and buy them instead. And I'm thinking to myself, well, thank you for that. But where were you two years ago when before bonds lost 25% of their value and were in a bear market? Where was your warning to sell them? See, they don't represent the sell side. I mean, the buy side. They represent the sell side. They're trying to sell you bonds so that you buy them. You pick them up. They never tell you when it's time for you to sell them. They always want you to buy. They want to sell to you. That's why it's called the sell sell, uh, side. Now, I'm going to read you a couple of things. This is a quote from the Wall Street Journal just recently. Fueling the optimism are three key factors. Inflation continuing to decline, a Fed that is done raising interest rates, and a robust labor market and economic growth that have outperformed expectations. Another one. Economists no longer expect a recession. Well, except for Bill Gross. I put that in myself. Economists no longer expect a recession. According to the Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Journal survey of 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 what it should be gerbil, leading economist. Okay, in their last quarterly survey by Wall Street Journal Business and Academic Economist, they're in academia. They lowered the probability of recession within the next year from fifty four percent on average in July to a more optimistic forty eight percent. That's the first time they put the probability below 50% since the same time the middle of last year. And remember, remember this, folks. Every one of these economists missed the massive inflation we got last year from all the money printing. So my question is, again, where was the time the warning to sell bonds? 
by Barron's or Wall Street Journal or Newsweek? And where was the uh, warning about a recession? Why are they getting all the recession wrong? Why is this just hodgepodge? That's what I want to talk about. And I'm actually going to take it. We're going to have a do a little bit different today. I'm actually going to bring in the guys, Ted and, and, and Connor and Michael, because they all, all have kind of something to input on this topic. And, and then we're going to go to Don to talk about the markets uh, at the very end. But first, I'm going to go to the mailbag, because this kind of dovetails with all of this. And remember, everybody's talking about the, the um, 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 all this money printing and all the debt and the deficits exploding and the dollar uh, collapsing and getting weaker and treasury bonds being no good, okay? So with that backdrop, by the way, folks, I did remember, uh, it, it, I want to remind everybody, this is an early edition. We're doing this Thursday. Don is going to be out of pocket tomorrow, so we decided to do an early edition on Thursday of Your Money Radio, so it's not Friday. Anyway, so this is 1031. Dan, I came across this Twitter feed today, and I've seen other posts similar to this that I, of a, accounts that I trust. Called the Changing of the Guard. It's widely known 21 major countries currently refusing to use the U.S. dollar for oil transactions. Countries such as Russia, China, India, and even Germany, France, and U.K. are among those who will no longer accept the U.S. dollars. The deadline for cessation of U.S. dollar acceptance for oil transactions is set to October 3rd, 31st, Halloween 2023, so just yesterday. With the new shift, these countries will no longer purchase bonds that cannot be used for oil trade. Market meaning treasuries would be no longer tradable, marking a transition to a new reserve currency. Consequently, a massive influx of dollars held in foreign accounts is expected to return to the United States, posing a significant threat to the American monetary system. Uh, a, critical, um, a critical signal of this pending crisis is China's announcement of its intention to halt the purchase of U.S. debt, thereby leading the Fed to increase its current rate uh, of uh, U.S. dollar printing from $85 billion. The impending catastrophe is anticipated to exceed the scale of the 1930 stock market crash, catching many unaware of its potential magnitude. The situation scheduled to culminate on October 31st, wasn't that a couple days ago? It's almost, well, appears to be rapidly approaching a critical tipping point with far-reaching implications uh, for the American economy and the global financial stability. Then this is his comment. I understand it is a tricky situation. I'm just happening. If it, if it happens, what's the plan? I know you're ooh, a very smart man. He left out handsome. I know you're a very smart man and you have your thumb on the pulse of the market. No doubt there. Can you summarize what your plan is? Are you going to short or all the cash? Well, he's assuming that this is a done deal. So this is me. Regarding your comments below, I see this all the time. And while there may be some truth to it, ultimately, the dollar has actually been getting stronger, not weaker. And China, Russia, and the EU are far worse off than we are. Chinese debt to GDP is worse than ours. Uh, when you count the 
uh, Providence and local debt, that's where they hide it. They don't do it at the federal level, which is where they hide all their debt. The EU has a worse debt to GDP than the U.S. So unless we are going to replace the U.S., the USD, the dollar with crypto soon with the blessing of the Fed, because it won't happen until they approve, the Russian ruble or the Chinese yuan, the renminbi, will, is not going to replace the dollar anytime soon, in my opinion. They simply don't have the infrastructure in place uh, to make this happen, probably within the next 10 years, but certainly not within the next five years. If the dollar, now, if the dollar is no longer going to be the world's reserve currency, you should own physical precious metals, not the yuan, the ruble, or the euro. Now, you can also short the dollar and do other things. Now, thus, we will let price, uh, we will always let price dictate our moves. If when the dollar begins to weaken significantly and spreads between various yields widen, like high yield versus investment grade, then yes, we would own things contra dollar, like gold, real estate, and even short the dollar. Um, that said, we do need to get our fiscal house in order, we need, but we need the politicians to get their act together. We need a special election from start from scratch, 100%, send them all home. Can't be any worse than we have now. Cheers, Danny. So the reason I bring that up, that doom and gloom and all this talk, is there's been talk about this for well over a decade. I follow a lot of this alternative media, and I understand it. And at some point, we are going to lose the world reserve currency. That's historical. It's always happened. It, it, it used to be Britain before us. And after World War II, we dethroned Britain as the world reserve currency. Before that, I mean, we had other European countries uh, have it. It was Denmark and France and then England. Anyway, point being is it ain't anytime soon. It just isn't. Now, I do think they're getting ready for the digital dollar because they want to track every transaction you do so that uh, so the, the transactions, both public and private, now just become public. There is no private. So they do want to be able to track it. So I think they do want some kind of digital dollar, but they're certainly not going to let Bitcoin replace the U.S. dollar, folks. Don't kid. I know all these Bitcoin and look, I, I, I'm for cryptocurrencies. I like the idea of the investment. I get all that. I get it's a, a finite like gold. I, I understand all that. But remember, we've gone to war over the dollar, over the petrodollar, over the dollar being the world reserve currency and over the dollar being traded in oil. So don't think we're just going to go gently into that good night. That's a quote for you. Uh, that's a quote from Shakespeare for you younger people that are just in college today, and they may not have taught you that. In any event, let's go. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And, and so with all of this doom and gloom talk, we're actually seeing the dollar strengthen. And even though it doesn't feel right, we may be setting up for just a huge rally if the Fed does take the throat off the markets. Okay. So with that, why don't we go over, Don, why don't you let the guys kind of chip in, to, uh, talk about this, about the bonds, the Fed, and the dollar, and then we'll go uh, to the markets. Sure. Let's uh, kick it off with Michael. All right. So 
I just want to make a couple comments. Yeah, about the uh, like first, I'll start off with the the dollar losing its status as world reserve currency. So there's a lot of reasons why that's not going to happen anytime soon, even if it does happen. But something interesting there, there's articles you can see online from from just a few weeks ago that uh, Russia and China are, or sorry, Russia and India are having some uh, disagreements now on what currency they want to accept and what they want to use. So basically, Russia has a lot of rupees that they've gotten from India, which is India's currency, that they can't really use in the, the global markets. So because they have so many rupees and they keep selling oil to, to, um, to India, India is now, Russia is now requesting from India that they pay them in yuan. And what did India say to that? They said, no, we don't want to pay you in yuan. We don't, we don't want to use yuan. We want to keep using our rupees. So... <laughs> There, there, there's a lot of issues with these other currencies. You're going to have to find something better than the dollar, more liquid and more available globally, more transparent, just financial systems, monetary systems, something you really trust, uh, a country that's historically had such a good hold on inflation and, and monetary policy. It's until you find a replacement, it, it, it's... Uh, it's going to be hard to replace the dollar. So you got to think about that. What are you going to replace it with? Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but when they bill them in rupees or yuan, don't they first say, okay, uh, at the, the, uh, the equivalent in dollars, which is what we need, is this much rupees and yuan, so this is what you need to send us. The bottom line is they're really billing them in dollars. Yeah. They're just using a different currency because those currencies are pegged to the dollar. Yeah, they're still pegging it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and all the all the commodities are priced in U.S. dollars. So, so yeah, it's the equivalent right. in whatever currency. But but they immediately they immediately hedge the the those currencies and sell them and do swaps. It, it's all still in U.S. dollars. So it's gonna take a long time. And then something else that that's really interesting about the dollar, the one of the reasons, one of one of the many reasons why the dollar has actually strengthened is because in the US we think about we have a big concern about these budget deficits and federal spending and all of this this dollar denominated debt, but something that we have an issue thinking about because the US is the biggest country and we're very focused on the US is the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, something really interesting that happened in 08 is if you look at dollar-denominated debt globally, in 08, when the Fed cut rates and initiated QE, all of the, uh, the a lot of emerging markets, a lot of countries around the world thought, oh, this is our opportunity. We're going to borrow a bunch of, uh, we're going to take on a bunch of debt in U.S. dollars. And what's going to happen? The dollar with the the U.S. with their QE is going to inflate away all of our debts, and the, the value of the dollar is going to go down. And then we're basically getting free money, so we're going to take on all this debt we can't afford. And and yeah, we'll we'll, we'll be covered because the Fed's got our back, and they're just going to inflate away all our debt. Well, what's happening now that the dollar's strengthening? You've got commodities rallying at the same time that the dollar's stronger. And most of these emerging markets that are net importers of commodities, you got a big problem because they've got their debts. I, I said this in a few podcasts ago, but they've got something called the, 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 the maturity wall of their debt, where they've got all of these outstanding debts that are going to mature soon. So they're either going to need U.S. dollars to pay back all of those debts, or they're going to have to refinance 
at these higher interest rates. So a lot of companies we have seen sovereign sovereign debt crises where where in Latin America and Southeast Asia you had a lot of defaults, and it's very possible that that happens again. And those are those exogenous events that you can't prepare for. But emerging markets, look at any emerging market ETF. They're all struggling, and it's because of this stronger U.S. dollar, and that actually fuels the dollar, and it's so much demand for U.S. dollars, which is is really contributing to that to that rally. So the end game here, actually, from a lot of perspectives, looks like a stronger dollar is going to cause the collapse, not a dollar that gets weakened and replaced. So we'll see what happens. All right. Now talk about the right. corporate yields. You were talking about a little bit about corporate yields. You want to quickly touch on that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'll touch on that real quick. So everyone's focused on interest rates in the treasury and looking at looking at federal federal debt. But something that you can look at as well that's actually yielding more is corporate debt. So you can buy investment-grade bonds. And the reason why this would be interesting for a fixed-income portfolio is because a lot of people are worried about the, the treasury and the federal government not being able to finance their debts. They're running all these deficits and they're going to default. Something's going to happen. Well, there's a lot of really stable companies that aren't going anywhere. For example, Johnson & Johnson, Caterpillar, Coca-Cola, really strong companies like that, that have cash flows. They've been around for over a century. There, there's nothing wrong with the company at the moment, very, very likely that they'll be around for a while. So you can actually buy their bonds. And depending on what platform you have, you're gonna have to look into your broker, do a little research and see how you can purchase them. Not every, not every platform offers these corporate bonds. They're a little harder to buy. But for example, I was looking into, um, yeah, Johnson & Johnson bonds. And some of those are paying 7% and they mature in uh, 2038. So you can hold those for 15 years, earn 7%. You put 10, 20%, depending on what age you are, if you're going to retire soon, you basically got your retirement set for 30% of your portfolio, just buying a 7% coupon. And if you think the Fed's done, or sorry, not a coupon, yield to maturity. But if you think the Fed's done and interest rates are going to come down, but you're still worried about the federal government being able to pay off their debts, these corporate bonds are going to rally as well. So you'll get capital appreciation and you'll lock in that, that great rate. So Something to look at in this uh, ETF that Don has up, LQD, is the investment grade ETF. Now, I personally would prefer to find some corporate bonds that I really like and buy those individual securities rather than the ETF, just because there are management fees and there's an average, like the yield to maturity is a little lower. I think I checked for LQD, it's around 4.5%, which is actually less than the, the money market rates right now. But long-term, you will get capital appreciation. You've got a diversified basket of these, these corporate bonds if you can't find and buy those, those individual ones. So it's also not a, not a horrible option. And, um, but but th things to look at. The, yeah, I, I would be looking at corporate investment-grade bonds at this juncture. All right. Thanks, Mike. Let me, let me, let me put on my Mike Terpreter and explain one thing that he said that I, it might've just gone, it was subtle and it might've gone over. So he was talking about the yield to maturity for that J and J bond is around 7%. 
He's not suggesting that you buy that and lock it in at 7%. He's talking about that's the worst case scenario. So if interest rates drop, those, those bonds will get a capital gain. They'll go up in value. And you don't hold bonds to maturity. You sell them. Uh, at a at a at a at a capital gain, you may make double digit returns. But now you know if you screw up the trade or something happens and you don't it don't time it right or anything, your worst case scenario is seven percent. So now if you hold it to maturity at seven percent, but you may get a capital gain in between that time, folks. One reason that we revere we haven't been talking about bonds for so long is because they weren't even worth doing. There was no yield. They was very risky, and if rates rose you had the probability of capital losses. So no yield and high probability of capital losses. That was the risk profile just two years ago. Now the risk profile is you have a much higher yield and you have a higher probability of capital gains versus capital losses because interest rates are probably close to peaking. They might go up a little bit more, but that's the thing. So now bond, the profile, the risk profile of bonds has changed the risk profile of securities changes over time. It is not static. Now, one last thing, because I did want to mention about the pros and cons about ETFs versus individual bonds. Mike's right that you can get a higher yield with an individual bond because with the ETF, they've got to have a whole basket. They've got to have some diversification. They're constantly getting new money in and new money going out. And so they have to have some redemptions so they're going to have a little bit of slippage, a little bit of idle cash that's not making that 7%. It may only be making a half a percent or 1%. So they've got a little bit of dilution there. However, if you get in a crisis where it really hits the fan, now with investment grade, you won't have as a problem like you would with a high yield bond, a junk bond. But, with an if, but like in 2008, you did. Even investment grade bonds got caught and you couldn't get, you couldn't sell them. You couldn't get out because there was no bid they're, 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 They can become illiquid. So a lot of these individual bonds are, a lot of people do hold them and you, they're sold in million dollar blocks. So they're kind of a little bit harder to trade during times of illiquidity. With LQD, it's an ETF. You can just buy it with one trade and sell it with one trade and let the bond manager inside the ETF uh, get worried about getting stuck with uh, illiquidity. So the ETF is a way to buy a basket at once and not have to worry about buying six or eight different investment grade bonds, building your own portfolio. So it's quick exit and entry, but it's a little bit lower yield. So it really depends on what you're trying to do. And if you do a lot of research like Mike and you're finding really good individual bonds, then you can bump up your yield by finding, you know, uh, better better individual investment grade bonds within the pool where LQD will be more diversified. All right. Great stuff, Mike. All right, Don. Yeah. LQD is, it's the investment grade and the, again, the downside of owning ETFs. This yields currently 4.3%, but high to low this year, you lost 13% on your uh, money. So uh, net net, you gained, you, you lost eight uh, percent, or uh, sorry, nine percent, eight point eight percent on this, four point three percent yield, but down thirteen percent on the price. Again, these things, the the index, the ETF never has a maturity. Uh, individual bonds do. So worst case, you hold it to maturity, get the full value. But if interest rates are rising, uh, these are losers. This and TLT was the 
the granddaddy of all losers. And that's treasury bonds. That's treasury bonds. Yes. Right. TLT is the the 20 plus year treasury bond, the 30 year treasury bond. This was down. Uh, Look at this. This goes from 170 to 80. You lost 50% from June of 2020 to current. And yielded what? Maybe 3%? Where's the yield? Okay, 3.7% yield. So, oh, good. I got a 3.7% yield. I lost half of my uh, monetary value that I had in this. This was uh, a, a big reckoning for the 60-40 portfolio, especially during 2022 when not only were stocks down, but bonds were down worse. So, so it's, it makes a point that you, you don't just buy and hold blindly, not even in bonds. So now Don was looking at the left side of the chart. Bonds were horrible to own a year or a year or two ago. It looks like they possibly could be setting up for a another cycle of dropping rates, not rising rates. If that's the case, then bonds are, would look better going forward. But that's why we look at the charts. We just don't listen to the marketing, the PR marketing firms of financial periodicals. All right. Connor's got four slides this week. Let's uh, turn it over to Connor. Yeah, so to touch on what Dan was talking about, mainstream financial media, it's it's something that you can look at, but if you're making your investment decisions off articles you're reading on Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Market Watch, any of these, you definitely need to reconsider your investment thesis. So on September 22nd, um, Barron's posted an article, they said, um, Bank stocks are stronger than you think, and it's time to get in. So this was September 22nd. And um, if, go to the next picture. And I wanted to pair this with what I was thinking at that time. Um, I tweeted in September, I tweeted a chart of KRE and XLF, um, two bank ETS, regionals, and just the financials. And I said, they weren't looking good. they were trading below key moving averages right at the 200 day. We know nothing good happens below the 200 day. And uh, with those being so weak, it didn't look like the market would have strength. And um, if you go to the next slide. So upon that article that Barron's posted, XLF was trading around 34. And in that picture I put, I highlighted where they tweet, uh, posted that article. And as you can see, shortly after XLF broke the 200-day moving average and roughly declined 10% since that article was posted. And, you know, if if you're just scrolling on the internet, you see that article and you think, hey, Barron says I should buy bank stocks. Well, it would not have treated you well. And um, Don, if you go to the next picture, the next one, that's just Bank of America. And not only did the ETF tell you that financials were weak, um, individual bank stocks as well. If you look at Bank of America, when that article was posted, um, it was trading well below the 200-day moving average, and it declined roughly 14% to 25. So all in all, it's not a good idea to uh, blindly buy what you see on the internet, what these people are posting. You don't know what their conflict of interest is. 
and they're a news website so they want engagement they don't they aren't necessarily posting what they think is best for investors and you can use these to just uh, be up to date on news events but if you're just using these these places to find investment ideas it's not going to end well and there's so many examples of barons um, being on the wrong side and if anything you could use it as a contrarian indicator and I know Ted's going to touch into another one, but this was just an example I found and I thought it'd be good to pair it with what I thought at that time. Um, and as you can see, Barron's was wrong once again. So, but, 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 but it's uh, even, it's even worse than that, Connor. I mean, like you said, you don't even know what their conflicts of interest are. I do. I tell you exactly right. what they are. They represent wall street. They rep look there. They, the conflicts of interest are they're, they're big investment banks and they're representing the investment side. See, you think you're the client, you're the cattle, he's right. the roper, he's delivering you to market. They are trying to underwrite for the big corporations, the governments. They're trying to sell bonds and they're trying to sell stocks to you. They don't, they don't ever tell you when to sell them. They only tell you to buy them. So if Barron said, buy those bonds, it's quit crying about the bonds, it's time to buy them now. Well, you don't have a lot of money now if you lost all your money in bonds last year and now it's starting to go back up. I mean, are you just dollar cost averaging? That's what I'm saying. With them, it's always buy, buy, buy. There is no sell, sell, sell. And that's because they're representing the investment banking side of Wall Street, not representing the, the, the customer, the investor. All right, Don. And if you never sell, where are you supposed to get the money to buy? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go over to Ted now. Ted's got a nice presentation for this week. Take it away. Thanks, Don. So let's continue talking about the irony of the media, which I just want to say that they're not in it for you. They're in it for the views, as Dan just talked about. And so if we take, if we take a t uh, trip back in time to October 10th, 2022, Barron's put out this, this magazine cover with George Washington popping out of the dollar and flexing. And look, look how muscular he is. He's like Arnold with all those muscles and says the powerful greenback. The US dollar is near a 20 year high and let's see what happens. So if you continue on, I tweeted a couple weeks later, about a week and a half later, I saw this Barron's article and then I took, a, I took a look at the dollar chart and I tweeted this. And I noted these three characteristics of potential sell signals, which I noted which I tweeted um, right here. And so I couldn't format the tweet to show the daily chart and the weekly chart, but I included that next, if you were to go to that. So the daily chart of the dollar is shown here, and I marked five distribution days, and basically those are just indications of institutions selling the dollar. And if you go to the weekly chart, the next chart, Don, The weekly chart showed the highest volume reversal after breaking the upper trend line. And that's another clear sell signal. And so these three sell signals told me that potentially the dollar may have topped coupled with that bullish action or bullish sentiment from Barron's. And then going on to the next chart, I've posted the price action of the dollar in the next six months. And as you can see, just a complete downtrend, pretty much no rallies at all. If there were any, it was very weak. 
And by that time, we're below the 200-day, the 50-day, as death crossed below as well. And so now if we were to go forward in time a little bit, on Twitter, I saw Tucker post the segment on the US dollar on April 5th, 2023. And it's about the dollar risking the loss of its reserve currency status. In my quote tweet the same day, I saw that and I immediately thought back to my previous tweet about the Barron's Greenback article. And I said, did the dollar top? Question mark. Um, and I was just bringing back that reference again. And look, here, here again, I posted that Barron's article and I was just signaling, could this have marked another potential contrarian signal in the dollar? And so on April 18th, 2023, Bloomberg posted, the de-dollarization is happening at a stunning pace, Jen says. And then on April 27th, 2023, the cradle posted, the de-dollarization kicks into high gear. And then finally, on June 5th, if it wasn't enough, Reuters posted, JP Morgan flagged some signs of emerging de-dollarization. So finally, if you were to pull up this chart, this final chart I have for you, I marked with red lines the various times these articles were posted, if Don could point to it closely. And now look at where we are now with this, with this resuming uptrend. And this kind of this theme of this entire podcast was just how we can't trust the media for your investment strategy and you must develop your own plan and thesis based off the price action fundamentals and macro analysis. All right, Ted, uh, listen, thanks. You know what? It actually looks like all of those financial media articles, they all came out within a couple days of each other, that they were all coordinated, almost like political articles on either side. It doesn't matter. They all put them out in their various conservative or liberal magazines all together in, in two or three days to give it, right. to give it, to make it, to give it weight and depth. So you believe it, you see it in multiple layers, folks. It is not a coincidence that those quote de-dollarization articles all came out kind of within a few days apart. Now, what is the motive? Cause the dollar was actually getting stronger, not weaker. And they're talking about the de-dollarization. So do they have an agenda? Are they trying to talk the dollar down because it's causing problems because it's getting stronger and it's causing markets to get weak? I don't know. I don't, it doesn't really matter. I don't, I've got enough things to manage on my own that I can control. I can't control the media. The point is, just like in the political media, the financial media is lying to you. They're not telling you the truth. They're telling you what they are telling you some message to make you take action. So it's either going to be collapse or euphoria. It's going to, it's not going to be some even keel, emotionally stable. It's going to be something very emotional. That article I read you, all those bombastic words, hell, you thought it would have been Armageddon and it was makes 1930 or the 2008 economic crisis feel like, like it, you know, everything is over, like the sky is falling. Folks, that it's not nearly that bad. At least not yet. I'm not saying it won't get there. Anyway, we've said enough. I think you got our point that you got to do your own research or get someone that's going to do it for you because uh, what they're giving you is not true. And by the way, we, a lot of times we do produce on air. Don, I, I told the guys this. I haven't told you this yet. Folks, one of these days, I'm going to record just a two or three minute segment 
of our morning call in the morning where we kind of go through and we talk about all the stuff we look at. I'd like to give you a peek under the hood and let you hear how we go around the table very quickly and quickly give all of our ideas for the day and do that. And we're doing a 20, 30-minute call prepping every morning before the market opens. If you're not doing that, I mean, you need to have somebody doing that. Then we have a couple calls during the day, during market hours. In any event, speaking of the markets, let's go to, oh, before I forget, the reason I am so dressed up today, I am actually going to a special event Whoa. that Michael Dorn um, is going to be speaking at. It's called Crisis in the Middle East. He's a Middle East expert. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, and it's down at the uh, old Parkland Debate Chamber, uh, and it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to see that uh, later th this afternoon, actually at 5 o'clock. So that's going to be interesting. But anyway, speaking of the markets, now let's get to Don. Don, what are the markets telling us? Well, yesterday, uh, FOMC Fed Chair Jerome Powell, uh, they came out with their latest decision on short-term interest rates, and there was no change, which was pretty much what the market was expecting. Uh, during the Q&A, he went between, we're not confident that we are, our policy is restrictive enough, and then a couple of uh, minutes later, he pivoted to, we may be able to just take a wait and see approach because of rising interest rates and what we've, uh, the restrictions that we've done to this point haven't worked their way all through the economy. And with that second, com first comment, we sold off with that second comment, if I can go to a five minute chart here on the S&P, you can see uh, with the first comment, we sold off. The second comment, we rallied. And after the markets had a chance to digest that overnight, we're having a gap up uh, at the open and we're digesting around this 4,300 area. So uh, quite a lot has gone on since uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, on Wednesday with the FOMC decision and press conference. What does that mean from our uh, perspective? Well, uh, this black line here is the 200-day moving average. We published what our approach is and our uh, allocation to the market is. And we talked about this three waves down that we've been in. And uh, up to, we, we normally give the limit of about two ATR below the 200-day moving average before we go to 100% uh, cash or uh, at least out of our, we've been out of all of our individual positions, our stock positions, but we hold on to a core S&P 500 uh, position uh, up to two ATR below the 200-day moving average. Well, wouldn't you know it, uh, our final shakeout here happened earlier this week, and it was just a bit off the bottom. And then yesterday, uh, we had the fourth day O'Neill follow-through day, which is uh, happened after Powell rallied into the close, and we're following up with it this morning. Uh, but we're not going to stay rigidly bearish because it's okay to be wrong, and we were wrong by finally uh, getting all out of the market here, uh, but we've pivoted and have been re-engaging as we gain uh, short-term moving averages, and in, in the case of today on the S&P and the NASDAQ, the long-term 200-day moving average. So we started adding some positions late yesterday afternoon, followed up with some more this morning, and basically we're re-engaging on our S&P long, little by little, and we're taking positions in individual names 
uh, and some of the names that we've gotten into uh, is Netflix. We actually started off with this back here before the follow through day because of the good risk reward uh, and how it uh, held its strength while the market was continuing to pull back. You can see the relative strength always looking for. Uh, and what I mentioned when we went into market and correction is we're always looking for relative strength to be the netters. Uh, and Netflix is having a nice follow through to the upside. We also bought uh, Microsoft as it had uh, follow up strength after it reported its earnings. And uh, same thing with Amazon, which has had a very nice rally since it reported earnings. You can see the gap up there and then making a fire high, uh, as well as CrowdStrike, CRWD. We've discussed a lot of these on uh, individual podcast as we uh, podcast and videos and we see what you know when our eye on what's outperforming the first sign was just getting back above the 21 day yesterday we took a partial position in it another gap up on it uh, on the follow-through strength above average uh, volume and we added to that today and the last one we added was CCJ uh, uranium great reaction to earnings good story we discussed this this week in the videos and making new highs today, uh, day th uh, second day after it reported its earnings report. And then we also uh, re-engaged our position with uh, the S&P 500 long. That's a core position that we hold market uh, is acting fine. And uh, what we look for now with today being, uh, yesterday being a follow through day is it's critical that we don't have what's called distribution days, either today or the four trading days uh, going uh, forward today being day one Friday day two and Monday and Tuesday of next week and the reason is from a statistical standpoint uh, if you have distribution within the first two days after a follow-through day there's over a 80% chance that the rally is going to fail we seem to be just fine today in fact we're on pace for a, a follow-through day on the S&P 500 which would be both the Nasdaq and the having follow-through days back to back also shows extreme strength we're also seeing two of the major headwinds. Don, 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 hang on real quick. One thing I wanted to point out to listeners, when you see that S&P chart, that green uh, 8 EMA hooking up is starting to hook up, which is very, uh, uh, shows that short-term momentum is really starting to increase. That's a really good sign. Yeah, the, the green, yeah. the green's the 21, the purple is the oh, 8. We, sorry, uh, the 21. That's all right. Um, where was I? Okay, two uh, headwinds for the market has been the strength in the dollar, and the dollar gapped down this morning, and is, and also bonds. Let's look at the yield for the thirty-year. Really, uh, intraday, uh, actually the ten-year got above uh, five percent. Uh, just barely touched above five percent. The thirty-year got uh, slightly above five percent, but you can see the gap down on rates now. And uh, this is something else that is a major has been a major headwind for stocks that's easing off a little bit. Uh, also, all of the stochastics on the major indexes, as well as the RG8, that's our eight growth ETF composite, and I discussed this in last night's video. Also, are getting a hookup from oversold territory. So you can see uh, if we continue to rally strongly, uh, we're set a multi-week uh, rally higher. As um, you can see that uh, the stochastic corresponds to 
the corresponding <laughs> corresponds to the corresponding corresponds to the rally uh, in the indices. So uh, key to identify uh, the early time to get in. You don't want to wait until you're up here saying the market's all healthy and then you're just set up for a pullback. Uh, when you get oversold, the key is to start allocating capital when you're just coming off of uh, the oversold. I'm, I said oversold, I meant overbought back here. But the key for getting capital allocated when you're just coming off overbought at the early uh, point being right at the follow-through day. And not all follow-through days work. We just had one on uh, August 29th that didn't work. Uh, but we've got rules for getting out, just like we have rules for getting in. And if this fails, in this case, the failure would be a fill of the gap from this morning, which would get us back below the 21-day exponential moving average. And uh, we will have no doubt seen uh, most of our stocks taking the same turn as the indexes if this fails. Uh, but again, we detail the signs in every one of these videos, what we're looking for for the follow-through, because one of the part of the title of last night, uh, last night's video was, can we trust this rally? And I detailed uh, the multiple touch points that we'll be looking for uh, the checklist for continued strength and um, it's a combination of obeying the moving averages and uh, the stochastics and also distribution the next key level for the s p to get above is going to be the 50-day moving average you can see how we failed here at the failed here at an attempted rally on the 50-day and uh, right now that level is a couple percent above and that's going to be pretty key uh, other thing to point out is that yesterday's rally was met uh, was led primarily by the big seven. Today's is not. Today's is much broader. In fact, uh, the big seven is lagging the overall Nasdaq 100 and lagging the S&P 500. Uh, still up nice, 1.4% on the Nasdaq 100, but uh, right closer to a percent on the average of those big seven stocks. So it is broad. There's a lot of junk that's rallying today, but in a bull market junk rallies uh so does quality it's a rising tide lifts all boat scenarios and if you want to look at art k uh as a uh your finger on the pole high growth but not necessarily high quality stocks it's up 7.5 percent today above its 21 day moving average which has flattened out and is now curling up just a matter of putting all these uh puzzle pieces together uh, to determine the strength of the overall rally and get your capital allocated accordingly. All right, Don. Well, thanks very much for that. Uh, folks, listen, hopefully you liked what you heard. And if you did, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can hit the subscribe button. We're not going to spam them or pester them in any way. It's up to them to reach out to us for a complimentary portfolio review or if they just want a topic discussed on the show or a stock. And you can always email. And then next to that is a contact us button. And it'll send an email directly to me. And you can ask a question or uh, inquire about coming on board as a client. You can email any of us at dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, michael, ted, or connor at revereasset.com. And you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, we'll talk to you next week on your money, not their money, your money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Not how much they make, 
how much you make. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.